Welcome back to the show. Today's interview is with Ahad Khan. He is the CEO of Kajabi, which is basically like the Shopify for online courses. It is the leading knowledge commerce platform for creators to create courses. From Brendan Burchard to Amy Porterfield to names like Cassie Ho and Sophia Amoruso, Kajabi is truly at the forefront of this sector of this part of the creator economy that revolves around education, around creators monetizing their expertise. I really enjoyed this conversation because it was a glimpse into how a company that saw such an explosion during the pandemic was able to navigate that massive growth and also the influx of capital. They raised over half a billion dollars from investors like Tiger Global and TPG and Tidemark. And now we're starting to see a little bit of a slowdown, right, in the online course space, which makes sense. So how do you navigate that as a leader, as a CEO? We talk about that. We also talk about how they've embraced AI even before everybody started talking about it a few months ago. We also dig into a little bit of Ahad's background, starting in finance and then going on to early stage startups like Mile IQ as COO, CFO, then joining Microsoft, and then finally joining Kajabi as COO, CFO, before becoming CEO. Their creators have sold $5 billion worth of courses on their platform since Kajabi was founded, which is an incredible feat. So if you're interested in the online education space, if you are in the creator economy, this is the conversation for you. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Ahad Khan. We are here today with Ahad Khan. He is the CEO of Kajabi, which is a leading I would say the leading knowledge commerce platform in the industry today. And you've had just a really interesting story. You're the child of immigrants from Pakistan. You started out your career in investment banking, and then you went into the tech side. You're at Microsoft, and then you joined Kajabi as CFO a few years ago. And actually, right when COVID hit, you stepped into the CEO role. So where I would love to start this conversation is having been COO, CFO at various tech companies and now being CEO of the leading knowledge commerce platform in the industry. What have you learned about yourself as a CEO during this transition? Yeah, it's funny. It's a fantastic opportunity. And you kind of take opportunities as they come. Is one thing that I've been always been proud of. It's the like, hey, you step into opportunities that present themselves. What I've learned about myself, I think, is that where I grew up, like you mentioned my career, all of those situations were kind of in person, right? You are going to an office. You're in it with your team who's in the office. And so one of the things I've learned and I'm learning is how to actually communicate a lot better in an environment where everybody's not in the same spot. And how do you figure out ways to build a culture remotely, build a communication style remotely, build a cadence of communication, all of that stuff in this kind of environment that we're in. That's one thing that I just didn't think about as much until I stepped into the seat because the seat matters so right? People join a company because of the CEO. People join up a company because of the mission. And really kind of being thoughtful about how do you communicate, interact, build rapport, build culture. It's been a really cool experience for me over the last almost two years now it's been. So it's been a fun ride. How would you describe yourself as a CEO and maybe more broadly as a leader? Honestly, I love being in the trenches with the team. Like I, I don't know how else to describe it. Like I'm not a sit in the ivory tower and wait for people to come to me and present stuff to me. I want people to feel like I'm there with them. So I will do a lot of deep dives, interacting with our team, helping them, answering questions, unblocking them. The cool thing about this seat is I always describe myself as like a lead blocker. Like if a teammate of mine is like, I want to go over there and I believe in what they're doing, which I usually do. What I like to do is go and 
create room for what they want to do to have happen. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's a, like being in the trenches, making sure the team feels like I'm there with them, that I'm approachable. Those are the type of things that I believe in as a person. And then that manifests itself, me as a CEO as well. And you guys have an incredible team. I mean, you hired Sean Kim from TikTok. Previously, he was head of a global head of product at Amazon Prime. I mean, you had an incredible last few years, especially. So I'm just going to cite some of the things that make Kajabi wildly impressive. And then I'm going to ask you a question about why you think Kajabi has been so successful. But just so people have context, you guys were founded in 2010. You bootstrapped your way profitably until 2019, which is when the company took on their first financing, basically from Spectrum, which you used to work at several years prior. And that's how you got connected to the team. And to date, you guys have over 60,000 creators on the platform, including people like Cassie Ho, Brendan Burchard, Sophia Marizzo, yeah. Amy Porterfield, but also all kinds of regular people who've just found economic freedom by monetizing their knowledge, which is the part that I'm really passionate about. And you've generated over $5 billion in lifetime GMV. So that is astounding. I think you guys hit the 1 billion GMV mark sometime in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. And then it sounds like yeah. you just have had insane growth since then. All of those numbers are wildly impressive. But like I said, the thing that I think is most inspiring about what you guys have built is that you're helping people take their lives into their own hands and basically just monetize being a creator who shares their knowledge. And as somebody who actually does that on TikTok, I feel very inspired by that. So what do you think it's been about Kajabi specifically that has made it the industry leader in this space? Because there are some competitors, right? So why has Kajabi been so successful? Yeah, it's a great question. We have the value of the company around controlling our own destiny, right? And that is an organizational value because it kind of replicates what our customers want as well from their lives, right? Mm -hmm. It's this ability to kind of not have platform risks, not be at the whims of the algorithm, not be at the whims of kind of brand deal. It's real people who are like ambitious creators who want to become successful entrepreneurs. And for us, we take that really seriously. And we've always taken that really seriously. Our founder and our executive chairman, our Kenny Reader, he built the business in that way very deliberate. We think we're the most creator-aligned company out there in the world. What we mean by that is on Kajabi, you can make a dollar on the platform, you can make a million dollars on the platform. All of that money goes to you. That's a very different business model than a lot of the other players out there where there's either a take rate or some other kind of revenue situation. For us, it's like we are 100% aligned. We get paid via subscription fee, which keeps our lights on. But what our creators do with the platform is up to them. And we really believe in this ethos that like the people who are building the content and building the value should reap a lot more of those rewards. And we've had that ethos since 2010, like you said, when we were founded and we want to continue that. And what we're really seeing is that concept is starting to evangelize and proliferate in this ecosystem, right? So knowledge creators, any kind of creators start really thinking about, okay, you know, it's a tough economic environment out there. Historically, they used to rely on brand deals to like drive revenue. And what they're seeing now is like as marketing budgets get pulled down, their ability to kind of create those economic opportunities for themselves are going away. So they're really thinking about, man, I had these audience of people who love what I do. How do we create a much more intimate experience with them? And within that intimate experience, how do we create products and opportunities to create real value, both for their audiences who are willing to pay for a, a knowledge product, a membership site, community access, whatever it is. And then as the entrepreneur, service those people and like actually make money doing it on their own terms, in their own experience. And so that concept of how to build in the creator economy or in the knowledge economy has really taken off over the last couple of years. And so to your point, we powered a billion dollars in 2020 or 21. We were 1.6 some billion dollars last year. 
but we're continuing to see fantastic growth this year. So it's been a really, really fun ride. I want to double click on the subscription revenue model versus the take rate model. I'm curious about the pros and cons of that model, because I agree. I love what you're saying about whether a creator makes a dollar or $10 million from selling courses. They get to keep all of that and pay you that sort of monthly subscription fee. I think you guys are priced in a little bit more of a premium way than some of the other offerings, but then you guys are much more robust and all-in-one than a lot of the other offerings and beautifully designed, I might add. But what are some of the downsides, would you say, of the subscription model versus the take rate model? No, it's a, it's a great question. And I think the way you almost answered it yourself, right? For us, we are kind of an all-in-one, right? So it's not just products, but it's the CRM around it, it's the business analytics around it, it's a website creation, it's a mobile app, it's all the payments part of it. Like, we truly are a place where you can get all you need to build in this online e-commerce environment, this knowledge commerce environment, the creator economy environment, right? When we think about the pros and cons of it, it's a really good push. Our articulation of it is ambitious creators who want to become successful entrepreneurs. And when we talk about ambition, we're not trying to convince people to come to us. But if you want to come to us, that ambition, you have that grit, you have the willingness to do it. Our revenue model kind of represents that, which is like, look, it takes time to get going. Like we have creators who take a couple of months to get going, some who can do it in an instant, but we want people who choose to come on Kajabi know that it's a journey, that we're with them every step of the way. It also makes sense in terms of how our business is built. Like everything is automated. We have a fantastic customer experience team here that is with our heroes, our Kajabi heroes, every step of the way, right? You onboard, you can get on a webinar, talk to somebody about how to do it. You wanna talk about, oh, I'm having this issue with this part of it, or I want help thinking about how to build this. We have people who can actually get on a call with you and walk you through those steps. And when you build a company that way, it gives us the ability to invest in our own personnel and provide a lot more value back to our heroes once they choose to join us. And that really only happens if there's our ability to kind of generate some revenue from day one. The flip side of it is that we don't get a lot of people who are like just thinking about it and kind of want to hang out. It's not wait till you make money. But for us, that's a kind of a deliberate choice. We want ambitious creators. We want people who have the grit and willingness to put in the work because they put in the work, they make a dollar, thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, a million dollars, whatever that number is, that's their work and they should reap those benefits. We really believe that. And as our creators scale on other platforms, you can see it. Like you're making a million dollars on a platform that takes 15% of your revenue, you're paying out $150,000 a year. Take that down to $100,000 a year you're making. You're paying off 15000 That's a lot of money. Again, it's that ambitious creators who kind of really take a job every year. So you're saying we want to continue to serve that kind of market because we have a strong commercial element to what we want to do. We want to make sure the people on our platform succeed. And the average creator on our platform makes like just south of $40,000 a year, which is extraordinary. It's interesting. It's almost like um, some of the critiques we hear about Substack, right? There are a lot of amazing newsletter creators on Substack and some of the most successful ones, they're starting to feel a little disgruntled because it's like, wow, I'm giving you guys a big chunk of this revenue and you're not offering me all this additional help because of it. That's right. And it's a huge nod to the founder who thought of it that way. I mean, I think that's the right economic model that's going to work in the future. As creators become brands and those brands have audiences, they're not going to rely on social networks to build those as much anymore because they're able to kind of uh, move those people down into their funnels and develop those direct relationships. And when they do that, again, we really believe if you're doing the work, you're building the content, you should be reaping the rewards. And Kajabi has just been about that since day zero. So it's nice that the market is catching up to what we've been doing for a long time. How much do you guys focus on existing creators who have big followings elsewhere versus somebody who may not have a huge following, but maybe they want to 
you know, start a little program that is a helicopter pilot instructor school and then it becomes a, a really successful course or something like that. So how do you think about, you know, the regular Joes versus the big creators? Yeah, we really focus on the regular Joes, to be honest. Like one of the things we're really proud of is we're powering, again, the creator economy, best way to describe it is like we've been doing this again since 2010, but the term became like a common vernacular in like around, around 2020, right? So again, it's one of those things where like, all right, cool, people are finally catching up to what we've been doing for a while. What we're most proud of is building the middle class of this company, right? So we love Mr. Beast, but it's not the Mr. Beast of the world's role on our platform. It is Kenny, the helicopter pilot, right? It is a woman who teaches people how to pass their trucking and dispatch exams. It is a family in Australia who teaches people how to become beekeepers. We have people with hundreds and millions of followers for sure, but that's not the vast majority of our customers, right? The customers that we have have fantastic content and experiences and knowledge and expertise that they're sharing with audiences that they know better than anybody does. Sometimes those audiences are massive. Sometimes there are a couple hundred people. But the way to think about Kajabi is the average transaction that happens on Kajabi is about $125. If you have 65, 66 people paying you $125 a month, you're making $100,000 a year. And that happens every single day on Kajabi. And $100,000 income is a really fantastic income, particularly in the creator economy, where if you're on TikTok, you're making on average $60 a year. If you're on YouTube, you're making $12,000 a year. We really believe in this middle class here, and we power that type of content, as well as the big creators, right? We have fantastic, you said Brandon Bouchard, people who are very well known, and we're super proud of that. We're also powering the middle class of this, and we get a lot of excitement as a company. Whenever we start all hands, where we start with like a hero story, and we talk about what did this customer, what was their journey to Kajabi? Why did they love Kajabi? And we interview them. And it's just like a really invigorating way to kind of talk about our company every single time when we get together, because that's why we're here. We're here for our heroes. And those heroes are the Brendans, but also the people who are making, you know, 30 some thousand dollars. Some people do it as a side project just because they're passionate about it. So that it's across the gamut. One thing I've noticed is uh, you published on your blog a report of all the different features and all the different things you've done last year, for example. And it's a lot of things. And you guys operate like a nimble startup, even though at this point you have hundreds of employees, you've raised half a billion dollars from top investors. How do you balance staying focused and keeping even the user experience relatively simplified and streamlined versus being experimental, trying different things, building that all-in-one, really robust, sort of full-stack suite of tools for the creator? Yeah, it's a great question. The cool thing about all-in-one is that actually each one of those component parts could be a business in themselves, mm -hmm. right? So you think about website creators, there's fantastic website creators out there. You think about course creators, we have a lot of competition there. Community companies, podcast companies, newsletter, all these things, coaching. Each one has point solution competitors along the way. The power that we have is that all those things play really well together within Kajabi. And while we're not cheap and we look at the sticker, when you combine all those point solutions together and try to build that company, it's actually much more expensive. And the administrative burden of managing that is non-trivial. It's actually hell for a lot of these creators and these entrepreneurs. And so what we believe is actually having under one roof and having all those parts play really well with another simplifies the process of building an online business the way you want. So we, we love that. We also talk to our heroes all the time. Everybody on our executive team, let alone our customer experience team, is talking to our customers once, twice, three times a week. And the concept there is like, we have 60,000 plus customers. You're going to learn patterns and issues to have across these interviews. And when you do that, you take that information in and you're like, great, how are we prioritizing our product roadmap? How does the feedback we got 
represent our roadmap? How do we make sure that some of the things, the common themes that we're hearing, maybe it's not articulated in the same way, but it's a theme that we know that we have to develop for in the future. And how do you take big bets? AI now is a thing that everybody's talking about. Everybody's trying to get their products out there. But we've been working on this. Sean joined us, our chief product officer and president, joined us in January of last year. It was priority number one for him the second he stepped into the door. Because he knew what the future is going to look like around content creation, about what AI can ease the process of doing. So it is a little bit of like you get new blood in the company who thinks differently, but also honors where it came from. And that combination helps us prioritize the things that we're going to be more impactful for our heroes, but also stay innovative with our ecosystem. And we think we're always one step ahead of the market, which is a good position for us to be in. It seems like because the creator economy has been so hot, you could easily start to converge upon a set of tools that are designed more for big creators because they're well-known and they have those big followings. How do you balance building for these different segments of users? Yeah, again, great question. We think about it like the creator economy in its entirety, there's a lot of entertainment in the creator economy, right? Like if you're on TikTok or YouTube, a lot of time it's like you're just watching videos. That's not necessarily for us. We're really in uh, knowledge, experience, expertise part of the creator economy where there's real substance. And when there's real substance, that's why our heroes are able to generate so much revenue for themselves because there's actual substance. And we make that delineation pretty explicit, right? And so when we're building, we have the branded Bouchards of the world who are providing like a specific type of content at amazing scale. And we're so proud of it. But his needs are similar to people who are kind of doing courses or membership sites or newsletters that maybe have 1% of his audience, right? So we think about that quite a bit. It's like, who is the segment of type of content creator that we want on the platform? And how do we make sure the products that we're building are in service of them? Not the entertainment aspect of a lot of these platforms that we deliberately are like, hey, this may not be for everybody. And being honest about that, it's kind of one of the things we were talking about earlier, like this concept of ambitious entrepreneurs, people with the grit, people wanting to do it, but also people who are in the business of knowledge, experience, and expertise. We want to kind of get them onto our platform and make sure we're building projects for them as well. This is a hypothesis I have about Kajabi and companies like Kajabi. Tell me if I'm wrong or correct. I actually think that for certain kinds of startups, it's better if they build outside of Silicon Valley and bootstrap for as long as they can so they don't get sort of infected by the hype of having to raise a lot of money and having to maximize top line revenue and, and those growth rates as much as possible without really laying the proper foundations. And then they can kind of get cornered where they have to keep raising capital and growing, but maybe they got a little lost in the hype around shiny objects or whatever's trending in that moment. I actually see Kajabi as this incredible case study of a company that's flown relatively under the radar for a long time and then just came out and it was like, wow, we've driven over a billion in GMV and we've just raised our first round of financing, but we've been around and powering this knowledge economy for a decade now. How would you address that? And what do you think about the way that Kajabi has approached bootstrapping and then raising capital? You know, I spent about 13 years of my career in Silicon Valley, right? So I was an investor at Spectrum Equity before, and then I did startups, venture-backed startups for about 11, 12 years between joining Kajabi and leaving Spectrum. So I'm pretty fluent in that part of the world as well. Honestly, it depends on the business, right? Like there are things that Silicon Valley can do that you can't really do anywhere else in the world. The thing that I love about Kajabi is what you just described. The business was built the right way. It was built fundamentally sound. It didn't get ahead of its skis. It became profitable. We always talk about like, controlling our destiny or eating what we kill. Like it's a nice place to be when you're like, I'm not at the whims of the capital markets. Like 
2021 was a crazy time in the capital markets and all of these people raised a lot of money, including us. 2023 is not the same time in the capital markets, but because we're built a different way, we're able to weather these peaks and troughs, right? And I think that's a very big difference. And to your point, it's hard to do that in the Valley because you kind of get caught up in like how everybody there builds a business. And it's just a huge nod to our founder. He was just deliberate about building products and services that solved hero needs literally every step of the way. Our first value here is obsessing over our customers and obsessing over our heroes. That leads you down certain paths where if you're reading, again, I'm from Silicon Valley. I don't want to dump on it too much because I actually love it up there. But reading every article and talk about how other companies do it all the time, it takes your eye off the ball of what you're really here to do is solve customer needs on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual clip. And I think when you're like us, we're in Orange County, we're in Irvine. I moved my family down here about two years ago. I think you're outside of the cycle a little bit. To your point, we are now telling our customer story and our company story a lot more, but we're doing it from a position of, of strength. And that's the kind of situation that any, myself included, I'm just privileged to be a part of that because most companies don't get to tell the story the way we are and do it the way we are either. Um, mm -hmm. So I think your point is super valid and we're a shiny example of that down in Orange County. Online learning, both people consuming information and knowledge online and paying for it, and also people monetizing and selling their knowledge has seen a boom in the last few years, yeah. especially 2020, 2021. And now there are a lot of different macro factors at play, right? Uh, we have a lot of economic uncertainty, we have inflation, and then the capital markets are also impacted. What are some of the headwinds that the knowledge economy is seeing from your vantage point? Let's go back to when I started, right? I joined to your point, I think we talked about it earlier, I joined March of 2020, literally at the onset of the pandemic. So what you had all of a sudden was two dynamics. You had the demand of people kind of tethered to their computers, kind of in front of their screens all day, being like, what am I going to do with my time, right? And they wanted to digest information. This is like everybody across the industry was like, Man, e-commerce went through the roof. All these things went through the roof because people are just in front of their computers clicking. And then you had a lot of entrepreneurs and companies, some of them physical, who had to move online because that's the only way for them to generate revenue. We have a lot of people at Health and Fitness on our platform. I live in Laguna Hills, California. If you're a yoga instructor in Laguna Hills, California, and all of a sudden the pandemic happens, you can't have people at your studio. You're like, where do I go to generate revenue? You take all your business online. A place like Kajabi is a fantastic place to build that kind of business, right? What happens when things open up is then people just are outside more. They're just not in front of their computer anymore. Like the dynamics shift around it. But the interesting thing about the pandemic and the great thing for the entrepreneurs in terms of what they learned about the business was that they realized you kind of got to do both. You have to be multi-tenant. If you're a yoga instructor in Laguna Hills, have your classes in person, enjoy that community, get together in real life. We as a company want to do more of that. So obviously people want to do more of that too. Don't forget that if you're a yoga instructor in Laguna Hills, your market is only the people who can drive to your studio. But if you put it online, the world is your market. And the concept that like evangelizing what digital commerce can do for even physical good companies or physical location companies has been a huge boon for this macro trend. And so right now there's a bunch of things happening to your point, the economy, interest rates, all these things, it's precarious in general, but like the five, seven, 10 year trend on what we do as a business it's never been more positive. And so we just, again, want to be very deliberate about the way we grow and thoughtful about the way we grow, but we feel really optimistic about the future because of what people realize happened when you were kind of tethered to your computer all the time. So do you see the increase in demand to consume online education as having gone through a bit of a pull forward effect in 2020, 2021? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it would be undoubtable. Like it went from yeah. growing, you know, at a certain rate to 3x that rate mm -hmm. all over, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't want another pandemic. 
you know, nobody wants that, right? But what it did was it evangelized what this kind of commerce can do. And so as things normalize in terms of just how people live their lives, people now are just much more open to learning things online and taking courses, becoming a part of a community or, you know, reading newsletters and all these things that like, you know, people are kind of distant account for now. I think that proliferation of that kind of commerce has been awesome. But it's definitely different than the pandemic. And we're fully aware of that. And do you guys feel prepared for that? Because there were a lot of companies. I mean, I recently made a video about connected fitness companies like Peloton and Mirror and Tonal. I mean, they had a major pull forward effect, but they planned as if and spent as if those growth rates were going to be sustainable, but they weren't. Do you guys feel prepared? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the earlier part of our conversation. We were built a different way, right? And so... We were built bootstrap, kind of under the radar, fundamentally, foundationally sound, and we continue to operate the business that way. And it's one of those things where when capital markets are a certain way, you do certain things where they're not, and you don't have to do things, you don't. And our value of controlling our destiny can usually be a big deal for us. And we are really leaning into that right now, given what the world looks like. But it's a good spot to be in as things kind of come out and normalize over the coming months and years. It's nice not to have uh, that kind of pressure that a lot of other companies do. I want to pivot to talking about the thing that everybody is talking about. I'm actually at this co-working space in uh, SF right now that is sort of like a hotspot for AI. Let's talk about AI. Team and Sean, you guys have been, you know, at the forefront of incorporating AI into your suite of tools and offerings. And I think that's so prescient because who knew that ChatGPT would take over the world and be the fastest growing consumer app ever. Let's talk about the different offerings you guys have rolled out that are AI driven and why you chose to do that and when that conversation started and sort of why it seemed like a good idea at the time, even before everybody was talking about AI. Yeah, I mean, this is why you hire really smart people, like fundamentally, <laughs> right? ChatGPT is, to your point, it's the fastest growing consumer app in the history of the world, right? Just unbelievable. But while they are the big name, they're not the only name. And this is early in it. The technology and what the technology enables is what we are most interested in, most excited about. And that's where we had a conversation early last year. We're like, this is where the future is going to be in one way or the other. And we need to play a role here. And for us, it goes back to like, what are we trying to do in service of our heroes? Like, what do they have problems on, needs on that we can solve in a really elegant way? And for a lot of our customers and our heroes, it just takes so long for me to build a course offline or so long for me to build a landing page. Or I don't know what my site should look like. Or can you give me an example of what I should do X, Y, Z? Because again, that grit and that ambition, these people are putting in the work. And how do we support them and make those things a lot easier? We have a concept here is like, how do you cut the time in by 10, right? How do you find 10x people to join your company? How do you cut the time it takes to do tasks by 10, right? And AI was absolutely that. And so for us, it was, we got to get this train going now. So to your point, we launched something on Product Hunt probably two or three months ago. That was a culmination of like months and months of work for the team. We just did a fantastic job around. It's a course generator. It's a landing page generator. What it does is it reduces, I call it like lorem ipsum hell or blank screen hell or whatever it is. It turns our heroes into editors. And by turning them into editors, and because they know their audiences a lot better than we ever would, it reduces the burden of like, man, how do I start? And it turns into how do I make it awesome? Because we don't want to do is act like we're going to replace what our creators are developing and building on the platform, right? We just want a superpower. And this superpowers them to work from something that resonates with the kind of content they want to build, turns them into editors, gives them more time to like build their content, but also build their language around what the audience that they know better 
people resonate with. That's been a really big unlock for our creators and our heroes. And we think that is where the future is going to continue to be. You can see this across tech, but specifically in a business like ours, that's in digital commerce. We got to be ahead of this trend. Again, it's a huge shout out to our product team led by Sean that we're able to do this, be ahead of it now. Like anybody good, you're always paranoid in a healthy way. And so we just want to make sure that we're always staying at the forefront of this because this is going to be a fast moving part of, of technology for sure. It makes so much sense for what you guys are doing. So before I became a creator accidentally, I was running an education business. And when you're creating a course, you basically not only have to have that expertise, but you have to be an expert copywriter and storyteller and salesperson and email marketer and all these different things. And like, wow, I just wanted to be able to spell this knowledge. I don't know how to, you know, juggle all these different things. And so I can see AI being a powerful unlock for just making that so much easier. Was that the obvious first thing for you guys to do with AI or were there other sort of things you were weighing and decided ultimately to go with the tools that you've launched so far? Well, it goes back to our philosophy of product development, right? It was like interview our heroes and understand what their pain points are and then think about the technologies that are coming across and how do you marry those technologies with pain points and you have magic. And so it became very self-evident, like to your point, you're a creator and the things you just listed are literally what a lot of our customers were saying at the same time. So like, okay, this is kind of a no-brainer. It's like, make it easier for somebody who creates content. These are the things we need to solve for them. Let's get it going, right? So it wasn't a difficult decision to do that. It was how do we do it first and well, and how do we make sure that it's relevant for our customers, right? It's not just to get the name out there and get a brand around AI. We're proud of that. But the concept that we had was that it solves our actual customer problems on a day-to-day -day basis and the utilization of those products is high. And that's our indicator of success. So it sounds like just talking to them kind of yielded the insights that naturally led into this direction with AI. Talk to the customer, right? Literally, yeah. go talk to them. Yeah. And like, they'll tell you, they'll tell you things that are sometimes very granular to their business that you can't solve every single problem, but you will figure out trends by talking to the customer all the time that then if you really believe your job here is to solve hero needs, it's a super easy walk from conversation to product roadmap to execution to launch, right? It's not rocket science at that point. We just have to be thoughtful about how we do it in a way that works, not just in a way that like it, it was a shiny object because we don't think AI is a shiny object. I think it's really interesting what you point out about how some of these truisms are cliches, but they're cliches for a reason, right? It's because everything comes down to talking to your customers, building for them, making something people want. You've been at various startups. You started at Kiwi, which had this incredible boom in the first two years, and then it kind of had a bit of a rough patch and then got acquired. And then you were at Mile IP, which got acquired by Microsoft. So you've seen a lot of different parts of the startup ecosystem from different vantage points. You've seen the ups and downs. From all this experience in the tech industry, what are your conclusions on why it is so hard to talk to customers? Because if it weren't something people needed to be reminded, they wouldn't have to be reminded, right? So what do you think are some of the bottlenecks that prevent people from being really close to the customer? What gets them distracted? It's some of this cultural, right? To your point, our earlier conversation, it's like Valley is just a little bit different, right? People can get caught up in the wrong trends there. The best entrepreneurs there do do that, right? Like, and I'll give you a very strong example. The founder of Mile IQ, prolific background, you know, Stanford grad, worked at IDEO, all these great brands. All he did and all he cared about was how do I solve these customer needs in a really elegant way? And it's not like some super sexy product, right? It's like mileage tracking for expense reimbursement and tax deduction. When people heard that and they're just like, why are you joining that? I was like, it's a really cool problem they're solving in a really elegant way. It's not coffee to your doorstep in three minutes, 
But, I, you know, I grew up in Ohio and I kept thinking about my friends who I grew up with in Ohio. They're doing all sorts of jobs, right? They're contractors, they're architects, they're driving all over for their sit in sales, driving all over for their work. And I remember specifically sitting next to a buddy of mine who I went to high school with. He's a lawyer and he owns his own practice. And we were driving and he stopped at the gas station to fill up a gas and he pulled out like a journal and started writing down something. I was like, what are you writing down? He's like, oh, I got to check my miles for like taxes or something. And when I met the founder of MileIQ, all I could do was think about that guy. And I was like, my God, this is this real problem that like, if you're not maybe from some of these places, you don't understand that these are like real things that not the people in the Valley are real, but maybe I'm from a flyover state. People from flyover state have these problems. And like, this is awesome, right? And so when I got into that, it was like, you see that ethos, like the founder of MileIQ lived and breathed that ethos all the time. And his thing was very design forward. How do you design something that is elegant, that solves complex problems in simple ways? I mean, that taught me like, man, that's how you win. Head down, talking to customers, making it easier, making it more simple, providing more value every step of the way. You may not be in every Forbes or TechCrunch or whatever people are reading every single day, but over time, that approach to product development, company development really pays dividends. And it did in my IQ for sure. So it was a really early lesson in terms of like block out the noise sometimes, just focus on what works and double down on that. So we try to live by that quite a bit here. What are some other early lessons from some of those prior work experiences that you oh, are now really? How much time do you have? Um, my first startup, Kiwi, was a mobile games company, but it was really a mobile distribution tool, right? Like the founder and CEO, super smart guys had built and sold companies before. Their first startup was acquired. It was in the mobile game space. It was acquired by a company called Playdom, which eventually got acquired by Disney. So they were kind of executives at Disney Interactive. This is in the heyday of like the Zingas and stuff of the world. I joined them because I'm more passionate about B2C, B2Prosumer businesses than I am about B2B businesses. I joined them and I was like, this super smart people doing what I think is really interesting, which is like mobile games is super fun, but also how do you distribute on mobile platforms is really intellectually interesting. I think what I learned there was getting smart people in a room who don't really think about product in a way that is customer first, user centric, whatever term you want to use, doesn't always work over time, right? So for us, we raised from Sequoia Capital was our Series A investor. We had 220 people in the company within 22 months. We were revenue cash flow positive, like all these things. I was like, this is crazy. But what you realize is that things get more competitive. The product has to hunt on its own. That's what happened to us. We were building on Android. Android at that time was like the other side of the iOS ecosystem. So people weren't spending as much time there. But as Android started getting more and more penetration, the competition started increasing more and more for games. And our games just weren't as good as the market. Our distribution was 10x better than the market. But the market, rightfully so, was like the best product should win here. And our product just wasn't awesome. So after that four-year journey, which I learned a ton on, the next one I wanted to do, I was like, all right, cool. I got to be thoughtful about, is the product awesome? And that's what my IQ ended up being. So it was, it was a good lesson learned, but I would never trade my days at Kiwi for anything because it, it was a fantastic experience. I know we're coming up against time. So I want to ask one more question. Where do you see the knowledge economy and specifically the digital course space moving in the next maybe three to five years? Again, I think of it as a segment of the creator economy, right? And what I see happening is this proliferation of this director-creator monetization ecosystem, right? And that's where I think knowledge creator, I think courses, I think all these things, those are all in service of that, which are people who are ambitious creators who want to build sustainable businesses on their own terms. This market is actually teaching them a very tough lesson, right? 
don't be reliant on social media platforms. Don't be reliant on, on brand deals, build sustainable income via courses, via membership site, via community, via a paid podcast, a newsletter, coaching, live video, whatever it is, control your destiny. Like it's our company value because we believe our heroes kind of manifest that value into the world. And we just believe that that's what's going to be the future. You think about where brands are being built now. Brands are being built around individuals. You know, the example I gave you for the passenger trucking exam, she's an example of that profound impact that kind of brand can have within an ecosystem that seems small. She's made millions of dollars doing that. Oh, we love to talk about Shopify a lot because Shopify has been doing this in e-commerce for you know a long time too. What they do for physical goods, Kajabi will be doing for digital goods in the creator economy. We love that positioning as time goes on because we just need to evangelize and proliferate what our heroes have been doing on the platform for 13 years, tell their stories. And I think that'll inspire the next generation of people to think about their knowledge, their experience, their expertise in that way. Yeah. And I feel like we're still in the early innings of this entire space and people yeah. really catching on to it. So it's incredible what you guys are doing. I'm very inspired by it. And obviously you're an incredible leader and I'm really excited to see where everything goes over the next few years. So thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about Kajabi? Go to kajabi.com. Check us out. Follow us on social. We put a lot of great content out there. To your point, we're really excited about this future too. I couldn't imagine a more fun space to spend like a part of my life in. And so it's just been an incredible ride. Huge shout out to our team who's doing it here. We're super excited about where things are going. We're really ambitious about what it looks like. Amazing. Thank you so much.